restaurant unstoppable episode 558 with brooke greer i'm a quick learner and pretty driven person. So at word of mouth, I was bookkeeping. I started doing staffing and booking the staff and kind of just started taking little pieces from other people. And then I started answering the phones. And when people would call in looking for an event, I started just taking down their information. And I was like, I'm going to work on this proposal. And then it booked. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go handle this. And I just kind of started doing it. So I never had a moment of like, oh, I'm good at this. I just I had a moment of I can do this. I can figure it out. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicssuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation one more time that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest brooke greer brooke gotta ask are you feeling unstoppable today I think I am. (laughs) I think I am. That's what we like to hear. So Brooke Greer, a Dallas native and graduate of Baylor University, Waco. I I want to say Waco every time, and I know that's not it. Say it for me. Waco. Waco. Why is that so hard for me? Moved to Austin in 2004 after working in sales and crafting her management skills in customer service. Greer found her calling in events planning. Over the years, she's worked for Austin's Word of Mouth Catering and Olive in June in 2014, Bed Edgerton, owner of Contigo Restaurant, approached Greer with the opportunity to run their catering. Today, she's a partner. You're crushing it. I can't wait to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or a mantra. What do you got for us? Um, A mantra I use a lot around here is, I'd rather be looking at it than looking for it. We're always taking everything off site with us. So we kind of over prepare all the time. Yeah, that's actually a really good thing that the to start with because I should have said this in the introduction but you're into catering obviously which we kind of pointed out event planning uh catering and I don't get a lot of guests that specialize in this vertical so I'm really excited for today's conversation and I'd rather be looking at it than for it how do you have your mise en place when you're constantly moving around and like you don't have that consistency like that's one thing that doesn't come up typically in mm-hmm. most of my conversations so how do you guys deal with that we bring it everywhere we go. So over the over the years, we've developed systems of 
pack lists and what needs to come and what do we need to set up on site to to prepare ourselves and it's different every time so i feel like to to circumnavigate that everything doesn't necessarily have its place because the place is always moving when you're going to site you must really be that much more dependent on lists yes yes for sure all right. Interesting. Yeah. Any nuggets there you can drop on us before moving on and get, dive into your story? <laughs> Any secrets of the trade? I mean, a big part is going on the site visit in advance mm-hmm. and um, knowing what you're walking into. Of course, you can never predict. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even had venues change like two days before the event. and Curveball. Cur- yeah, huge <laughs> curveball. So um, it's all you kind of always have to be prepared to be flexible. I dig it. Awesome. That's another little mantra mm-hmm. right there. I like it. So bring us to where it all started for you. I mean, you went to uh, Baylor. You got a degree in English. So mm-hmm. when did it kind of click that this is what you wanted to do? After years of being in Austin and not knowing, you know, I was managing a hair salon. I worked for a random um, like tile store. I worked at a paper shop doing, you know, invitations. Um, I finally ended up waiting tables at County line. That's been, you know, an Austin staple forever. Um, and I really enjoyed that. Like that was my favorite job. Um, you know, I loved my English degree and I loved studying that, but it, it it wasn't anything that I could necessarily directly apply. So, um, yeah, I, my first hospitality was waiting tables and, um, ended up going to a wedding to work it and met the owner of word of mouth catering who, you know, eventually hired me. And that's kind of how I got into this. So I don't even see it as I chose this path. So was catering on your, on your radar, something you wanted to do when you started working for word of mouth or was it just a job at that point? It was just a job. Um, and I was actually brought on to help with bookkeeping, which I had had no experience in. So it was, so what was it about this relationship? Why did they, sh- or he or she, uh, suck you in? What was, I went on an interview and it lasted five hours. <laughs> wow. So I was like, okay, we'll start there. We'll start there. So at this point you were uh, managing a salon. So you kind of had some uh, secretarial mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you're just kind of going for it. You're trying to figure it out. Right? Yeah. I was trying to figure it out. By then I kind of decided I wanted to do events and hospitality. You know, even at the stationary shop doing wedding invitations, I was, I was drawn to events. And so... I, you know, when I met him with word of mouth catering, I thought, okay, well, I'll try this out. Okay. So what exactly was it about events that you think drew you into it? I think just that they were always different and interesting and, you know, gave the opportunity to be creative. Um, It wasn't, you know, just doing the same thing day in and day out. So I liked working with brides at the stationery store. And that's not, everybody says that. Yeah. Yeah. What's unique about you that... that you enjoy that that element of it. I don't know. I, I think I have a, a unique patience um, and calmness and can just sit there through painful decision making over, you know, a font choice or a color. Um, I work well with mothers of the brides too. Um, yeah, I think it's just this kind of calm, flexible um, patience that I have with them that I don't you know, necessarily exercise in my regular life. I wouldn't call myself <laughs> calm or flexible most of the time. So, so when did you know, um, that 
you were good at this or that this was a potential vertical for you? Um, I mean, I, I think I'm a quick learner and pretty driven person. So at word of mouth, I was bookkeeping. I started doing staffing and booking the staff and kind of just started taking little pieces from other people. And then I started answering the phones. And when people would call in looking for an event, I started just taking down their information. And I was like, I'm going to work on this proposal. And then it booked. And then I was like, well, I'm going to go handle this. And I just kind of started doing it. So I never had a moment of like, oh, I'm good at this. I just, I had a moment of, I can do this. I can figure it out. Yeah. You know, one thing that I, that comes up often on the show talking to successful people is they don't wait to be told to do something. They Mm -hmm. take initiative. Mm -hmm. And I'm hearing that with you. Like you saw something that needed to get done. You did it, do it now, ask for forgiveness later. Right. Kind of like, and what happened? Like, how did the opportunity start opening up for you within word of mouth catering? Were you getting more responsibility? Like what what was that progression like? Yeah, I was getting more responsibility and, the other gals were starting to trust me more to take on stuff from them. So, um, and we were getting busier. So it kind of just morphed and eventually I became, you know, one of the planners and sales members there. How long Um, did it take you to to climb that ladder? Like six months. Okay. Wow. Six months. Cause you were there for four years. Mm -hmm. So you spent the majority of your time, three and a half years, uh, working as an event planner. Uh, what, what was that transition like going from somebody who was doing the books to actually working their own events? Um, it felt natural. I, I was not, I am not a natural bookkeeper. I'd never learned QuickBooks before, you can, know, or I I'd never do it. <laughs> I'd never used it before. So, um, it, it was a good transition. It was, you know, it felt, it felt fluid. What were the early days? Like, do you have any, uh, like moments looking back at what you know now, how you've grown, how far you've come looking back at some of the, the silly things you might've done or mistakes you may have made? Um, I can just see like a, not an immaturity, but you know, in dealing with clients, like now I just feel way more polished in being able to talk to clients or handle difficult situations or an unhappy client, um, which is rare, but, um, how would you have handled the difficult situation before? Probably gone to my boss and been like, help. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, or just completely coward. Like I've, I think I've, grown a backbone and it's also different with Contigo because this is my company um whereas at word of mouth it wasn't you know I was afraid to upset anybody where here it's like I treat our clients very well but I'm also going to stand up for myself and my staff and you know I'm not going to let them walk all over us that's kind of a reoccurring uh theme that comes up, not necessarily a theme, but a topic that definitely comes up a lot on the show where you always hear the customer's always right. Mm-hmm. But the customer's not always right. right. And sometimes uh, when the customer's not right, the integrity of one of your team members is kind of in the, the firing like you know yep. lane. So how do you approach situations where somebody's clearly not right and the integrity of one of your employees is at question? I definitely try and meet in the middle so that at least the client feels like they've been heard and I'm going to do something, you know, to take a step towards them, but I'm also going to let them know why I'm only going halfway because, you know, I think that my employee also was right or that we did our best or that we did the right thing. 
um, and kind of trying to meet them in the middle rather than picking either I'm going to do exactly what the client says because I think they're right or I'm going to just totally disregard them. Have you ever had a breakup with a client? Uh, yeah, we have. <laughs> a big one. I'm really interested to go deeper there. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll backpedal to where we left chronologically, but how do you break up with a big client? Especially when it's a big client. That must be a real big pill to swallow. Yeah. Um, I've broken up with two, actually. One mid-event. I mean, we completed out the event. It was like a four or five day event. We completed it, but I basically told them, don't ever call us again. Um, And I did it in the kitchen in front of my staff after we had been, you know, dragged through the mud by this person for days. Uh, So it was it was good for them to see that and me stand up for them. And I mean, that was like a a showdown in the kitchen of like, we're going to finish this out and do what we said we were going to do, but we have no interest in working with you or your company ever again. How far does one have to go without naming names saying who this person was, but how far does a client have to go for you to, to, to retract like that and pull out? It was the treating, it was the way she was treating our staff. I mean, really it was just, um, continually miscommunicating her expectations and then kind of berating us when we weren't meeting her expectations. And then, I mean, her mantra was that she would walk in the room and look for three things wrong every time. And so one time she'd come in and say, you know, there was breakfast, the yogurt and granola is too full. You're feeling the, the jar, you know, the cups too full. So we, you know, made them smaller. And then she came back in the next time and said, they're not full enough. And it was just, it was constant like that. Like trying to, you're aiming at a target you can't even see. Mm. And so it was, it was a nightmare. What does that do to your, your team morale? Oh, it was bad. I had a few people crying. I had one of my, you know, top people saying like, I almost left. Um, and we've dealt with hard. There's a lot of clients that are hard and have really high expectations and we're good at meeting them. It's, it's when it's constantly changing or we're getting talked down to, um, for things that don't matter. Mm -hmm. So I'd had, I'd had enough of her. And when she wanted me to dress like a server, which I'm not opposed to helping serve, but when she wanted me to like wear the uniform and be on the floor, I was like, you don't understand my role. Like I can't, I can't do my job if you're wanting me busting plates on the floor, you know? And so she just, she was on a major power trip, but (laughs) Yeah. Without saying names, it was a, it's a, it's a very high end luxury car company. So okay, we worked with several times and it was finally like no more things, but no things. Yeah. So I don't even know how we got down this path. I think with the, where we left off chronologically, uh, you were taking initiative, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, what else did you learn during this four year? I mean, this is kind of where you evolved and you, you came into uh, event planning. So any other key moments, key mentors for you during this time, people that are, had a huge impact on you. Um, I mean, everyone I worked with there, you know, I would consider a mentor in some way because they all trained me, you know, it was a, a mom and pop kind of shop in a way where there weren't training programs or training documents. Even it was just like, learn as you go. And so I'm having to learn from my coworkers. Um, but they were all very patient with me and awesome at, at teaching. And I would go on their events and just kind of shadow and, and watch, um, but I think, um, yeah, as far as mentors during that time, 
I feel like I just had my head in the mud, like working, 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 and I don't figuring even, it out, learning the industry, yeah, right? Right. Um, Which we all have to go through eventually. I mean, uh, you you did leave in 2012 to join Olive in June. What was mm-hmm. the cause for that? So, catering is really hard. Um, let me just say that it's real hard. Uh, so, I think I was tired um, of moving stuff everywhere, and the thought of Olive in June. It was a new restaurant you know, part of a bigger group here in Austin. And I had a friend working at their sister restaurant Parkside. And so she's the one that reached out to me and the thought of being able to do events at one place at that time was really appealing. Like, Oh, we don't have to pack up every plate, every silverware, every glass, every spatula we're going to use, you know, and take it. It's all there. That was really appealing to me. Um, and so it was a nice, it was a nice transition, but I definitely, I definitely got bored there. And so it was good timing when it was, you know, when Ben approached me about teaming up with him and Andrew, my other partner, and doing catering with Contigo, I think I was ready for that challenge again, like realizing that being at a restaurant was too stationary for me. So this, this Ben came to you in 2014. So, I mean, how did you guys even cross paths? How did he know? How did you even get on his radar? We were like acquaintances. Um, we met each other at happy hours over the years, and he always... Um, liked talking business and so did I. So we always were talking about just the industry or what was going on at, you know, when I was at word of mouth, um, before they started catering Contigo, I had even helped them at the restaurant with a few events they had there, um, a few times. So we just always kind of kept in touch. We didn't know each other well, but I would say we were just like acquaintances through the industry. Mm -hmm. And so Earlier, you mentioned event planning is really hard. And uh, I, like I mentioned earlier, I don't get a lot of event planners on the show. So I'm going to get kind of very, I don't know the word, uh, what might seem obvious to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if this, if you're an event planner and you're listening to this, uh, what is it about? I mean, it comes up a lot on the show. Like, the, like running a restaurant is not easy. Everyone who like likes to cook for their friends at their house, if that's what you enjoy, then don't open a restaurant because it's not going to be anything like that, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the, some of the things that uh, are involved with event planning that are kind of the biggest uh, myths or the, the, the things that people most often get side like blindsided by? Can you dive into some of the, the things that are just unexpected that you are the realities of being an event planner? Yeah, I mean – Weather is a huge thing. (laughs) Um, Being in Austin, everybody wants to have their events outside. Um, So that's something we have to consider with every every event. I mean, we had an event in December last last December on Rainy Street, which is outdoor, a bunch of bars. It was supposed to be for 1,500 people, and it snowed, like (laughs) snowed hard in Austin. Um, which is a big deal in Austin because it's yeah. not like you can just run to the, sh- the shed and get a couple shovels and take care of it. Like there are no shovels. Right. No, nobody <laughs> knows what to do. Yeah. So it, you know, um, there can be a lot of unexpected things. But, you know, catering is the biggest aspect of someone's event. So, you know, we're not just feeding your guests. We're also like running the show. We have the staff to come in. We set everything up. We set up the bars. We're um, moving, th- you know, after maybe a wedding ceremony, moving chairs. We're we're kind of not in charge of the timeline. Like usually people have an outside planner, um, like a wedding planner who's helping them with tons of other elements. And we're just focused on catering, but we're, we're kind of the execution executors of, of that. So we're, 
if it's time for the toast, if it's time to cut the cake, if it's time to, you know, shut down this station and start passing this item and, um, late night tacos. So, you know, and at the end of the event, we're the ones breaking down, cleaning up the venue were the last ones out. So, and people forget that they think that it is just like the food. Um, but really it's, it's the biggest part of your event. Um, it's nice for us when people hire an outside planner because we don't, we don't want to get involved in like the band and what they need and walking someone down the aisle. You know, there's, there's people to do that. Like we like to just focus on catering, but because we're such a big element, we do get pulled into like whole event planning and we'll handle a lot of times the rentals too, which is like the tables, chairs, China, silver glassware, furniture you know bar fronts so we say you handle that do you go to the vendors that supply or do you actually have all your own things that you supply it's about half and half um there's a couple vendors in austin we use that we rent stuff from that you know we don't have like tables and chairs and linens for guest seating but we do have some you know plates glassware silverware we have a lot of really cool toys that we use that we like, you know, stuff we've had built and custom made to bring to events. Um, Are you talking about the outdoor uh, grilling apparatuses? Yeah, we've got some of those. Uh, I saw a couple of your videos and I'm jealous of the toys you have. Yep. <laughs> it yeah. It seems like you guys really have thrown a good time. Yeah, we've got these cool um, kind of fire pits and spit roasters so we can roast whole animals. But, you know, we have our own bar facades that we've made. We have our own walls with shelves on them to display food. Um, you know, we've we've created stuff over the years to to make the styling of the food more interesting but also just the the guest interaction more fun rather than you're just walking up to a buffet and getting food out of a chafing dish like we've we've spent a lot of time working on those pieces that make us unique and that you know make everything look awesome um so it's kind of half and half where we own a lot of stuff but we we use other vendors here in Austin too and kind of pull it all together so one thing like I have no problem admitting my uh, ignorance a lot of the time because I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why I started this podcast so I could be less ignorant by asking the questions. Uh, and it sounds like, I mean, there's the, the two separate verticals. You got in with event planning, but now you're focusing on catering. Uh, I didn't, I'll be honest, when I was researching, I didn't even think of those two things as being completely separate, but it sounds like they are completely two separate verticals. Is that safe in saying? Yes. So you started with the event planning. You got into catering. Mm-hmm. What was that pivot? What was the, the the transition like? It's nice because you can just focus on one thing. You're not responsible for all the other vendors. And so I like having that focus um, and just being responsible for what, what I'm responsible for. But you do some event planning too, right? Yeah. So what's how do you draw that line? How do you balance... Or, I mean, how do you even present that to the client? Like that you're a caterer, but you also provide event planning services. Well, so we don't, well, maybe misspeaking there because we don't really provide event planning services. Um, We just end up getting involved in that sometimes if they don't hire their own. And we use planner in our titles here, which maybe is misleading. Um, if somebody doesn't have an outside planner, we just end up getting pulled into it. We've never like charged for those services or come out and said like, Hey, we'll, we'll plan your event. But a lot of times 
a lot of times they don't need a planner. They just need the caterer to show up and we'll organize florals and we'll bring everything that they need. And so it's, it's kind of turnkey. Well, do you have a planner that you typically go work with often that you could maybe recommend? Do you do anything like that where somebody comes to you and say, Hey, we want you to plan our event. You say, Hey, we, we cater, but if you need a planner, yes. we work with this person. Yeah. We've had quite a few. So, and it depends, you know, uh, we'll qualify the client, you know, and what they're looking for. And if it's a wedding or if it's a corporate event, it's totally different. If they're looking for big production. So or- you have your specialist, your Rolodex of the right people to go to for certain events. Mm-hmm. Certain types. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so eventually you, you start working full time with Contigo. Uh, take us through what that, uh, process because at this point you've never been a business owner so this is your right. first business mm-hmm. opportunity what was what was contigo before you came on scene to paint that picture for us uh contigo is and or you know was and still is a, a restaurant in east austin it's mostly an outdoor restaurant it's um it's designed after my business partner ben's like family ranch called contigo and they wanted to create that same vibe at a restaurant where it's like you're sitting outside you're maybe having a hot toddy you're sitting by the fire um you know, or in the summer you're, you're sitting outside, you know, in the heat drinking your shandy, um, with kind of food that feels like something you'd eat on a ranch. Maybe, I mean, they have a great burger forever. They had rabbit and dumplings on the, on the menu. Um, and people really liked that vibe. So I think that's when they started becoming interested in catering because people wanted to recreate the vibe of the restaurant, but at their own event, you know, or at their own house um so when i came on to start the catering there there wasn't any catering at the restaurant and i knew from the beginning and from working at word of mouth that it really had to be separate so one thing that i i really like about your story uh you ben andrew all together uh they had the restaurant going they got married at the restaurant or was it at the actual ranch um ben ben got married at the restaurant and Andrew actually did two a couple years later, but Ben was the first who got married at the restaurant, and um, and it went well. And they're and mm-hmm. this kind of like was like they're like okay, like we should start doing more weddings here or events here at least, right? And that's when they reached out to you. Yes, and I kind of took it and just do catering, so it's just the offsite stuff. So they they do still host events at the restaurant too, but I don't get involved in that. It's just anything offsite is what we do. And so we started Contigo Catering as its own division. So, I mean... Was this right off the gate or did you come on as an employee doing responsible for the catering or was that kind of like from the beginning? Like, if I do this, like it's going to be... I'm going to be a partner and this is going to be my business. Correct. How, how do you how do you navigate that? How did you guys come to those terms? Um, they, they offered that from the beginning, like partnership in Contigo Catering. So I, I was never an employee of the restaurant. We came on day one and it was Contigo Catering. So, I, I mean, I think my first task was like, okay, we need a state of Texas sales tax ID and a phone number, you know, where people can find us. And I mean, it was literally, you know, kind of starting from scratch mm-hmm. um, as far as a new business. So I, I love that approach, though. I want to put more emphasis on something that I'm seeing more and more speaking to successful hospitality folks is that if you bring on partners and the partnerships can be tricky. Some people say never get into partnerships, but if you want to be the best, are you really going to be able to spread yourself that thin to be in charge of the back of house to be in charge of the front of house to take on this whole new appendage of catering? You're better off 
giving equity to somebody and saying and going to the best and saying, hey, like you do this, like you have we've seen your talent. We know what you're capable of. We'd rather just have you control this segment of the business. Right. Yeah. And that's worked great. That's worked great for us. And they've given me a lot of autonomy here to so a, run things. A lot of what I like to dive into in the podcast is the relationship between partners and how you protect yourself and how you guys create a culture or you communicate. So there is no, uh, I guess, issue with working in such a close partnership with uh, lanes that might get crossed or uh, – people that were miscommunications or maybe different divisions, right? So how do you balance that? How do you guys all stay on the same page and work well together under the same, I guess, brand, mm-hmm. uh, but with different divisions, different lanes, different verticals? Right. So Ben and Andrew, um, they kind of have, they've created a management company called Edgewise, which is a combination of their names. And so Edgewise oversees like the look of the branding, you know, and, um, kind of any big picture stuff like that that would apply to catering or the restaurant or the ranch. Um, So, you know, that kind of helps us stay on the same page. But as far as, you know, kind of running things here, I mean, we meet every other week, but that's about it. Like they've given me a lot of autonomy to run things. Why is that so important to have that autonomy for, for you to just be able to mm -hmm. do your thing for them to trust you to do your thing? Why is that so important? Um, I think for me, that's just how I'm wired that I need to be able to make decisions. I'm a quick decision maker and I move pretty fast. So if I have to wait on someone to get to where I'm at or explain like that just has never, it's <laughs> never worked for me. So I moved at a pretty rapid pace. Is there anything you did in the beginning of this relationship to set those terms to make sure that you had that kind of autonomy? I told them that from the beginning and I think they knew I think they understood that when I said it, you know, but before we even signed anything, I said like, I'm going to need to have a lot of freedom and just do my thing. So for people that are listening to this right now, who maybe are restaurateurs and they have a great opportunity to pick up catering and they start doing catering themselves and they're thinking to themselves, I don't have the bandwidth. I mean, catering is a huge, another channel of revenue. It can be, it can really help support the entire business, but sometimes people just don't have that bandwidth this approach that you took where they brought on another partner to handle that, what advice do you have for somebody who might have this opportunity and, and are considering this approach? How, how should we approach this style of doing business? Yeah. I, I have a lot of things to say about that actually. Um, Sweet. So, <laughs> Get into it. Yeah. The, I've had a lot of restaurants in Austin come to me as well recently wanting help or cons- consultation or, you know, how did you organize it, organize it yeah. and start catering? And, you know, do you know anyone, um, there's a lot of restaurants in Austin specifically that want to cater. And I, I think it's because the restaurant industry here is so big and so many new restaurants are opening daily that restaurants have more empty seats than they would like. And so they see it as a revenue stream, which is great. Um, you know, I think catering is a great way to fill that void. Um, what we did was we set up catering totally separate and not just for the partnership, but I knew Restaurants have a hard time catering. I mean, your kitchens are only so big. You only have your staff that are running the restaurant. You know, you don't have... Everybody's like bare-bone skeleton staff right now. So to to absorb that extra workload with a minimalist staff, like, how do you do it? Right. Right. You don't. So um, we set it up totally separate. So, you know, um, 
yeah, for those of you listening, Eric and I are sitting in my office in Southeast Austin, not near the restaurant at all, where we have a warehouse, we have a tasting room where our clients can come in, we have a kitchen, and we have office space. So we've got about 5,000 square foot of space to be able to do this. Um, You know, and for restaurants who try and cater, I encourage everyone, like, separate it, you know, get your get your staff separate because the restaurants that do try, I mean, let's just say you have a wedding on a Saturday night, you need 20 servers and 10 chefs and four bartenders. Like, where are you going to find those people? And it maybe it's family style and it has 20 tables. That's 20 platters per dish. So if, if, you know, if there's chicken, beef, salad, and Brussels sprouts on the menu, that's four platters per table times 20, you know, it's just a lot of stuff. So, um, I think keeping, if you really want to, dive in and be full service i think setting yourself up separate and you're like talking completely separate like your systems and processes are like under a different roof like in like if you're looking at like a, a hierarchy like there's a a line going way out to left field and there's a whole nother like vertical that's mm-hmm. over there oh uh, you got you even have your own executive chef so Correct. there's the executive chef andrew right yep with uh the uh, the restaurant, uh, and then you have your own separate executive chef for the catering uh, side of things. Do you guys ever use the kitchen at the restaurant, or do you have your own kitchen? How does that work? Yeah, we've never used the kitchen. I mean, every now and then on super busy times, or we've ordered things from them if we need help, but we've... In the beginning, we used their kitchen a little bit. Um, we had a commissary kitchen that we shared with other people, and that, that was a total nightmare. Um when we found this place, that was like a dream come true. Is there a kitchen in this facility right here? Yeah. There's a kitchen right on the other side of that wall. Nice. Yeah. So this building was, there was a caterer here for 18 years before us. So we really lucked out in finding this space. It's set up really well for catering, but we've never, we've rarely used the restaurants, kitchens. So what, I think it's a a natural question. Like what are the the benefits of setting it up like you have with having, I guess it's like a sister brother company, right? Where Mm -hmm. you're the same brand, uh, but what are the benefits of partnering with one restaurant and uh, having these two separate organizations underneath one umbrella Mm -hmm. versus just going out and doing your own thing? Well, I, I think a huge benefit is the name Contigo and people love the restaurant and people already had interest in that. Um, in, in what Contigo was doing and kind of the vibe that they could bring, you know, the, the way it feels when you go to the restaurant. So I think that's a good thing. And I think for restaurants that are wanting to do catering, like they can really use their name, you know, to say like, oh, hey, now you can have your favorite food at your wedding or at your house or at this corporate event. Um, so how do you keep the food... Because you have two separate chefs, two like same brand. How do you keep that consistency where the the food is on brand, on with both the catering leg and the uh, the restaurant? Like, is there a divergence there? It, it, like, if I go to either one, am I going to know this is Contiga? You you may not know because so at a restaurant, you know, you have a menu and maybe it has five or six entrees and a couple sides and some salads. Catering, we have to have a pretty expansive menu because people want what they want. So there's some caterers out there that do everything and anything. And it's like if you want your grandma's, you know, recipe for pie, they'll make that. And if you want to add in Chinese food and, you know, do all this different stuff, they'll do that. We we do stay truer to the Contigo 
brand and aesthetic. Um, so what I say is that where we align is with quality, is with the chef-driven approach with interesting flavors with sourcing quality i love when my guests get straight into my next question which is like (laughs) how does it all work and it sounds like it's having the same vision the same alignment as far as what you're going for right the the same uh your your natural brands you know brooke greer and andrew and ben uh all of your brands are kind of seem to be aligned from the very beginning correct yeah and andrew you know meets with our executive chef here once a week and so that you know, he's kind of seeing what we're doing here and what's on the menu. And there's been times he's like, no, <laughs> take this off, you know, or our guys here have come up with great ideas that Andrew loves. And um, so really it's, it's having kind of just the same theology and, you know, focus forward with creativity. Because I think too, when, when I started this and having worked for another caterer, it's like catering sometimes gets a bad rap because you're like, Oh, I went to a wedding. The food was awful and the chicken's dry. And so I really wanted us to be different. And we've definitely succeeded at doing that in providing restaurant quality food. We're cooking on site where a lot of caterers don't, they're cooking at their kitchen and bringing it over. You know, we prep a lot here, but then we finish it off and cook on site so that it's as fresh and well, yeah. the, I think the other variable to that is how you're cooking. It's part of the experience. You're doing open flame cooking. You're cooking on site, and it's it's a display. It's a part of the, the the. It's not just you know, it's time to eat. Here come the plates. It's like you show up, and there's a pig on a rotisserie right there. Like that must be cool to like to have that be a part of the experience. Yeah, and we we don't always get to do that. Not everybody wants that, but yes, we we love doing that, and the guests love it. They want to come talk to the chefs and talk about the pig and they want to name it and, you know, they decide what part they want to eat. (laughs) So um, that is a cool aspect. But sometimes we can't do that. Say it's an indoor venue and a lot of times we're out in an alley next to a dumpster with a homeless person walking by while we're cooking. You know, so it's it's not always glamorous. Like we're not, you know, acting like Francis Malman all the time. Yeah. So I think just to kind of summarize some of the key takeaways uh, from the most recent conversation, the benefits of of having uh, the of this situation that you're in, you came on, you never owned your own catering company before you can attach your brand with another successful brand and kind of like slingshot, right? Why start Mm -hmm. from scratch and and create your own reputation where you can align yourself yourself with a brand that's already really well known and successful. And you have the same values, the same kind of, uh, I guess style, right? Yeah. Why not just align yourself to that brand and take that and create like a, a very symbiotic relationship where you win and they win. Uh, why not do that? Right. It right. seems like a no brainer. Uh, why don't most people or more people do it like that? Do you think? I mean, I think some people are afraid to give a piece of partnership up, you know, um, why do you think that is, I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. There's something that, that people are afraid to give up equity in the business. Right. I don't know if I agree with it. Right. Especially if it can create massive growth. So, you know, and I think, um, we, you know, the way we did it was a good way to do it was to separate it. So I don't own any part of the restaurant, you know, so there was no, and I had no involvement in an opening. Like I don't, you know, so I think even creating a separate LLC can help some of these restaurant owners be able to give, you know, part of their equity to somebody to come in and do it. So you don't have any equity in the restaurant. Do they have equity in the catering? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Um, Anything we haven't touched on up to this point, uh, talking about the partnership, uh, you said you had a lot to speak about regarding that, that is worth going into before we kind of 
talk about a few other things. Um, less about the partnership. I think I was just meaning, yeah, more about people who are wanting to cater um, and finding that more and more restaurants are wanting to do that. And I'm seeing that in Austin. Like there's, there's all the, you know, full service caterers who've been around forever and do catering, but there's more and more restaurants starting to do this. Um, the, the thing that I think is unique about us as, as a restaurant cater is that we, we are such a, a separate machine that our growth is, it's basically unlimited. It's unstoppable. I <laughs> <laughs> look what you did there. Um, because we're a restaurant, you can only seat, you know, you can only take so many covers a night. That's not necessarily true with us. It's, that's how we've grown. I mean, when in 2014, it was me and we hired our first chef and there were two of us, you know, and then asking friends to come work events. And, you know, now there's 21 full-time employees in this building, plus our list of servers that come work the event. So we've, we've got quite a team and it just keeps growing. Yeah. I think we should spend the rest of our conversation and sorry to derail you, but to kind of like identify what we should talk about. If somebody, so many people you said want to do this, right? Mm -hmm. So if they do want to do it and you're starting to go into it now, like what's the best approach? What has made you successful with this business model? Uh, I think you're starting to get into it now to start as small as you can Mm -hmm. and scale into it. So you and one other person and then friends and family, right? Right. So take it from there. That's kind of where you left off. Um, Yeah. So we had, it was just me and one chef. I had a little office. We kept all of our stuff in a storage unit we had a commissary kitchen, so we were spread pretty thin. And when we'd have clients in for tastings, we would do it at the restaurant. And yeah, in the beginning, I was selling the event. I was booking all the staff. I was going to the our little storage, packing everything up, putting it in my car like we didn't have a vehicle, um, showing up at the event and, you know, executing it. Uh, you mentioned, too, earlier uh, you had to get the phone number, the separate LLC, anything that you didn't think of that kind of was a surprise to you that you haven't mentioned regarding the business and setting that up? I mean, there's the boring stuff like credit card processors and um, purchasing of a lot of things, finding a commissary kitchen. Anything you have found out the hard way that you wish you knew going into that situation? Yeah, don't use a commissary kitchen where you're the other person in there um, roasts crickets because <laughs> sometimes they're not always dead and they're everywhere. <laughs> oh man. Um, but no, I, it was a cool process of learning as I go. I can't really think of anything that's like, man, I learned that the hard way. I'm sure a lot of it I learned the hard way, but I feel like I wouldn't want it any other way. Mm-hmm. So, but I think going into it, with the mindset of, Catering is not contained to a building that can only fit so many people. So we used to maybe only do one event on a day. And now we can do, you know, three. We had three events this past Saturday. Um, And then as far as size, you know, we're feeding sometimes 10 people. The biggest event we've done, well, just a few weeks ago, we did 1,200 people for for a reception corporate group. And... You know, that was that was a big one. So what's the the secret to scaling 
to getting to the point where it's you and one other person and maybe a couple of friends doing a, a catering event for 30 people to now you have three separate events going at the same day. And one of those events might be a thousand plus people. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing that's good is catering usually books pretty far in advance. And so, you know, that's something I would tell people is that when you start out catering, you're not going to have income right away because weddings are booking six to nine months out, sometimes even farther. Corporate stuff is booking maybe a few months out, but you always have some lead time. So my sales team has always grown before everything else. The sales team grows, they sell more, we see what's coming, and then we know, okay, we need to hire more chefs now, or I need more help in the warehouse, or I'm going to need another bar manager, or we're going to need to bulk up on our servers. Um, So you kind of, you have the lead time, and that's how we've just naturally scaled. We've never, we took out an initial loan, which we used to buy all of our equipment, all of our platters, eventually a, a vehicle. Um, what, what do you think is a good number to start with? Um, I'd say like 125. Like what would, like what are the key things that people miss that they don't incorporate into that, that budget? Um, I mean, I'd say the major things are the vehicle, all the equipment, platters, rented a kitchen and then a salary for someone who's running it and a chef, you know, whoever you kind of need to start with, um, a kitchen manager and going from there. But we paid that back pretty quickly and we've never, we've never needed more money to grow. Mm-hmm. It's just always been there. So how many people do you have on staff? Well, on our, on our call list, like the people we book, you know, just for offsite events, we have, I'd say around 50. Okay. And I'm assuming for a day when you're doing a thousand person event and you have two or three other smaller events, mm-hmm. you, you have to go ex- ex- beyond that, that yeah. call list. How do you handle those situations? So I'm kind of texting, this happened this weekend. I'm texting some people, you know, can you come work this weekend who don't normally work for us? And, um, and then there are some staffing only agencies that okay. we'll use and we really try not to, it's expensive and you never know what you're going to get. Um, so that's a consideration too, when we're booking events is looking at the days like, okay, we've got two big events this day and they're both weddings and they're both really complicated. Like we shouldn't take anything else because Mm -hmm. we want our good staff, you know, on board. So the other thing I thought was really interesting is you have chefs on your call list. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when we're going into a market that's increasingly strapped for people, uh, restaurants are having a really hard time finding staff and chefs. Are you feeling that too with your call list for chefs? Like how do you, how do you get a chef to get away from their full time or is this their full time job? So for some of them it is. Um, and the way we're structured is that some of the full time cooks in our kitchen here, they're here in the week prepping and then they're also working the events. Then we have a lot of part-time people who yes, are on the call list and they just will come to events. And a lot of them, you know, we found that, um, they're either the people working brunch and so they're available at night or they work at like Whole Foods or other kind of day kitchen type operations where they're available to they're us the, at night. The, the person that is chasing the quality of like the nine to five corporate corporate may be seen and then they're going to pick up a, a gig on the weekend yep. to get that extra cash yeah. flow. Yeah. A lot of them don't necessarily work in other restaurants because they just they don't have the time. So do you focus on recruiting people in those verticals that because they seem to do best with your schedule? Yeah. I mean – we, I've actually just hired an HR person who's going to help us with recruiting and kind of more targeting. We've never done any specific targeting. It's just put an ad out, whoever comes, 
you know, it's just those type of people are the ones who have stuck around. Um, a lot of them do their own thing. You know, I have a gal that's, she, um, does food styling for photo shoots. So she, you know, she has time to come work for us here and there. Um, we've had a culinary teacher before, so he had like a nine to five. So he was available. Um, you might have a podcast host eventually if I stick around long enough to pick up some extra. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, but the chef, we definitely feel it too. The crunch for good culinary talent. Um, but catering, we pay more than restaurants do hourly for those roles. So I'm actually happy that you're getting into that because uh, one thing that comes up, people are always emailing me, asking me to get deeper into the numbers and the, the percentages and how you figure out, uh, like we have our prime costs like in the restaurant mm-hmm. industry, but with catering, how do you how do you navigate those waters? And like, how do you know what to budget for? And like, how do you, how do you split that up? Right, so each, each event, the thing that's nice is I know in advance what we're going to sell. If there's a wedding on Saturday, it's a $20,000 catering bill. That's going to include the food, beverages, some staff, or some beverages, all the staff, some rentals. Um, so you kind of know you know your income before you go out and do it. You don't just open the doors of a restaurant and hope that people walk in and like buy all the steaks that you have sitting there. So we know exactly what we're going to prepare. We know the costs. Um, and the way I look at it, so yeah, my bookkeeper originally in the beginning was showing me prime costs and I was like, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me. And I realized like we're just different. So we've got, you know, we've got our overhead, which is all my, my salaried staff who work here, you know, my sales team, the operations manager, HR, you know, warehouse, those kind of roles. Um, when I, when we sell an event, Basically, those labor hours are cost of goods sold. And so in my P&L, I look at those kind of catering staff wages at the top of it. Um, because I'm I'm selling staff. It is a revenue source for us. It's, it's not the most profitable of the things that we charge clients for. Um, but there is some profit there. But we're only booking those staff when we need them. So it's a, it's a cost of goods thing. So when things are slow, you're not paying them. To, they're not on salary. I mean, you have, probably have a couple salary people, I would imagine. Yeah, we have quite a few salary people. Probably about 15 of the people here are, of the 21 full-time, I, I think about 15 but are on salary. They're probably focused more on the future, lining yep. things up, coordinating, scheduling, planning, and doing all the, those sort of things. Yep. Like the sales team's always looking ahead. They're, they're always, always busy. Working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and like when we're slow and not having as many events, maybe my, my bar team is cleaning up the bar list, tasting new wines, creating new cocktails. You know, the, the event managers are, are training staff. We're, you know, updating some processes. I mean, in our last, you know, slow time this summer, we, we switched to a software that we use now for catering. And so that, you know, we're always busy and, you know, we plan for that too. Like, I mean, events are very seasonal in Austin and I think everywhere, everywhere has their different seasons. So we're slow in January, February, and then July, August. And so we know, we've got to leave a certain amount in the bank to cover salaries through a slow time. If we were to sell nothing, um, which is never the case. Like we're still selling things. And at that point we try and book the hourly staff so that they can get hours and let the people on salary focus on like future growth. Got you. Yeah. Um, so man, I I don't even know what to ask. There's, (laughs) there's so many potential, uh, directions to go in. Uh, anything we haven't, discussed that you're hoping we would discuss or any value 
additional value you, you think you could add that hasn't been brought to the table yet? Um, well, I think back to pay. Um, I, we're able to pay more hourly to cooks in our kitchen than I think most restaurants pay because again, it's like we're scheduling them when we know we have work to be done. Um, and that can be factored into what we're charging clients. So, I mean, obviously don't want to outprice yourself and be too high, but, um, I think we're usually a couple dollars more per hour for cooks in the kitchen. So any cooks out there in Austin who <laughs> need work, call us. Um, and then event pay is even higher. So because we're billing the client directly 25 to $30 an hour for every staff, and then they're all paid between 15 and 25 per hour to be on site. So that's a perk to people who want to work in catering too, is that it's, it's paid more hourly um, than other, you know, some other jobs. Got you. Well, during our pre-interview chat, you mentioned something that I, I kind of latched onto and I want to bring up during our conversation uh, that you seek out mentorship from other catering companies. I think that's something that is a trait from very successful people. They, they never stop their learning process and they're always seeking the next lesson and to, to surround themselves with the right people. So what is your approach to doing that? Uh, you said you go to LA a lot to, to, mm-hmm. Take us through that process. So, um, yeah, catering is such an interesting business, and I'm I'm thankful that I've you know worked for another catering company here in Austin, um, and I'm really close with a lot of other caterers here. So we we talk pretty openly about stuff, but everybody structures a little bit differently, and so I've always been so interested in how how does this caterer price things, or how do they do do their pack list, or how do they book their staff, and so I emailed some people in LA that I liked. I followed them on Instagram. I thought these are some cool catering companies that seem to be doing what we're doing. Like LA is very stylish. Um, they're not the boring caterer with a beef tenderloin carving station. You know, they're doing really rad stuff and emailed four of them, four or five of them. And I didn't have a date set, but I said that I did. I said, Oh, I'll be in LA, you know, these dates, like, can I come? And they all said yes. And so I ended up going the first time for 10 days and, Worked with one caterer in LA, went to an event with him. We went to a couple dinners. We talked for hours, like all catering stuff, hung out at their office, met their team, saw them do a tasting, um, hung out with another caterer who I hung out in her office. We shared a bunch of our documents, like, how do you do this? Um, she actually started a catering conference in LA called Potluck. That it, So it's happened two years. The, this, uh, I guess, 2019 spring will be the third year. And so I was we brainstormed that and we've been friends ever since and have always kind of talked about, you know, I've, it's been fun to kind of brainstorm with her. Um, she and I even went to tech table, which is a hospitality conference hosted by Danny Myers group in New York. Um, it's about tech and hospitality, but she and I attended that together last year just to, you know, see what was going on at other conferences. So, um, those relationships have been really, really awesome. Um, and yeah, there's two other caters that I have visited and kept in touch with as well in LA. But those trips, so now I've been out to LA three times, um, spent time each time with those caterers, talked to their staff, and that has been like so eye opening. And I can't even point out like one thing that I've learned, you know, other than really it was like validation of like, oh, okay, I'm doing things right, or we might be doing things slightly different, but you know, 
we're we're getting to the same place. Yeah, there is no one way to do things, which is a huge lesson I've had in this in this industry. I mean, there's a million different ways to drive from Boston to Los Angeles, right? As long as yeah. you get to the the same destination, uh, there's a, there's different things we're going for too, and different approaches work for different experiences you know mm-hmm. so there is no one right way to do things there's there's a, a, a combination of a bunch of different things you can do that work just right for you yeah so uh but what if, if somebody's listening to this and they they want to, to build up that courage to reach mm-hmm. out to somebody what is the best way to go about doing that how did you go about doing that did you do you like is, you don't want to just like approach them just just asking right is there value added for them like how do you approach that right <laughs> i don't know that i I think the value that I added, because I just asked, you know, um, I think the value that they all saw was, oh, cool. Like, we want to talk to a caterer, too. Yeah. And so they were just as interested um, in spending time. And I think when I went, I had something planned with each of them. And then we connected so well that it was like it turned into more, you know. And that's why I've gone back twice. And a lot of us still just talk or text. Um, but I think, I think you just have to be bold and go out there and ask. And I, I think there's no harm when it's outside of your, um, city or your market. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. I think that was the the other big variable you go, you don't go to a city and say, Hey, I want to, I mean, some people have done this actually. I've had, I've had past guests on the show that moved to a city and they go to work for the best restaurants and they say, Hey. I'm working for you because I want to open a restaurant right there. Like, and it's literally like the, 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 the building across the street, but these people still are willing to help out. And it's amazing. The, the people that are, that are at the top of the game, you would think that they would hold their secrets really close to their chest. But the reason why they're there is because they're so generous because they've helped out so many people. And it always comes back around some way, somehow. And when you share knowledge and you collaborate those people, that's the cream of the, the crop and the cream always rises to the top. Right? Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to reach out uh, you'd be surprised at how willing successful people are to share their knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And they all were super willing to share. And I think I I know that like I have also helped them, you know, in some ways and just talking through things. So, um, so I think the big takeaway is there just reach out, right? Yeah. Maybe, uh, if it's a something like catering, which is a very small market, no, not small, but smaller than say restaurant industry where it, it might be more competitive or less competitive because there's so many restaurants. Right. There's probably fewer catering companies per city than there are restaurants. I'm assuming uh, by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want to be, you know, maybe not. Don't approach a direct competitor. Uh, just and try to be of value in that relationship too. Don't just look to get, but look to add value. That's right. Big right. Yeah, and I definitely was able to do that, you know, with several of them, um, in many ways. And a lot of it's just the value I added was just the relationship, you know? So, um, yeah, but I, I think trying to make a connection and, you know, some people might say no and that's okay. Just try, just move on. Try again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything we haven't touched on, this has been a great conversation. You've been super valuable. Thank you so much, but I don't want to cut you short. So before we go to the speed round, anything you want to drop on us before we, we, we thank our sponsors. Um, I think one reason we've been really successful is like differentiation. And so we've really set ourselves out there to be different than other caterers, you know, from our uniform to the style of food, to the stuff that we use. I mean, some of the toys I was talking about that we've had built, um, we've really focused on differentiating ourselves and staying ahead of the curve. I mean, I can't even tell you how many companies I've seen copy things we do now, which, bugs me but then it just the drives me compliment 
I guess. <laughs> so they say, but doesn't feel good. <laughs> but it drives me to think like what's next, you know, and staying ahead of ahead of the curve. Um, I also think, you know, developing relationships in the community has been huge and just with local planners, wedding planners, like they refer us a ton of business, you know, corporate planners refer us a ton of business. The hotels who host big groups that come to town for convention, you know, they'll refer us for an event that the group's doing outside of the hotel. Um, and we've been aggressive at, you know, those relationships and maintaining those. And so I I think that's really important too, is if you're going to start catering, you know, start reaching out to the right people. Um, don't waste your money advertising, in a magazine. So I love that you, you said that it's about relationships and what's one thing you do to maintain those relationships that, that ensures that you keep on getting the right clients again and again and again, the same clients again and again and again. Right. So we, we host an event every year called Galentine's in February. And that's an event that we do for all of our planner and corporate and wedding planners. We bust them out to Contigo ranch. And last year it was like a, self-care day we had goat yoga nice. they had all these services they could sign up for whether it was massages manicure hair braiding we had botox acupuncture um and they just got to hang out and while they were at contigo ranch we weren't like trying to talk about the ranch or even talk about what we did and of course we fed them and had drinks all day so they were able to like experience our food but we weren't pushing it on them and i think creating experiences like that that people want to come to and they don't feel like they're being sold something is really awesome and just i mean we we blew it out like we probably spent thirty five thousand dollars on that party to come back around You're, you're taking care of your clients yeah you know it has absolutely come back and so i think you know a lot of people give gifts and it's like you'll get a branded this or that. Well, it's like nobody wants that. So at Christmas we give gifts to each of those important clients. And it's something that I think they would personally want, just like you're buying a gift for your best friend. And so we focus on that. Um, one of my clients, she and I have an interest in kind of, um, we've both been interested in the dinners outstanding in the field, which is the traveling, this really awesome traveling dinner, um, show everyone should look it up if you haven't been What's it called? One more time. outstanding in the field. Okay. You can buy tickets. They host dinners all over. Um, but I knew a client wanted to go, so they were coming to San Antonio. And so I bought us tickets and I took a client a couple weekends ago to outstanding in the field dinner. Um, we stayed in a really cool hotel in San Antonio, ate at a couple other restaurants, you know, and just hung out. It's like, I just wanted to treat her. Um, we had a great time and, but that was just, another way to like deepen the relationship with her. And so, yeah, we just treat, we treat the people well that we want to keep doing business with. Man, this has been a great conversation. And the things that you're dropping on us aren't just for catering. It's, it's relationships in general. You're, you can do this for your your top spenders at your restaurant, people that you yeah. really, that, you know, we have the data. We know we're, we know who our regulars are. Uh, throw a special event where you rent out the restaurant and you, and yeah. you have like a, a customer or a regular appreciation day. Uh, why not? Because they're going to keep you in business for the long run, those people, those regulars. Right. So yeah. awesome stuff. Uh, great conversation. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsor and we'll be right back. 
All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you will get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link if there. you listen to restaurant unstoppable i'm sure you've heard me say it before but i'll say it again there are two things that you need to let determine your growth the first thing that's people the second thing that's cash flow and we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because i'm working with cashflowtool.com the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business cashflowtool.com is simple powerful and predictive it's simple because it requires no data entry it's always up to date and it works on any device anywhere it's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar activity feed and anomaly detector you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises and it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price and we're back the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success drive Mm. what is your biggest weakness Ooh. At the moment, I think it's feeling too emotionally attached to things here at Contigo. And like, if something goes wrong, I like take it really personally. How are you dealing with that? Trying to distance myself some, but you know, it's my baby, so it's hard. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, What is your uh, one question you ask or thing you look for when you're in the interview process, when you're building your team? I ask people how they organize themselves on a daily basis. And what are you looking for? I'm looking for somebody that has some kind of personal system that, that they use. And what's that tell to you when you, when you find somebody that has this? It tells you that they're going to have an attention to detail and be able to get stuff done and be able to kind of self-manage themselves and like their, their daily to-dos. Um, Cause I don't like to micromanage. So I want someone to kind of be able to do their job. Okay. Uh, what is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? It's a way to be, a way to act, a core value. Um, so one of our core values is a servant's heart. And we really go forward with that, like with each other, with events, like think 
walk into an event, remind yourself that we're here to work with a, you know, a servant's heart attitude. And, um, I think that really comes across. So what is a servant's heart? Paint that picture of what that looks like. Um, it's somebody who is happy to serve and who wants to serve. They're not just there to get a paycheck. You know, their, um, their heart is in it. If it's a wedding, they know that this is the most important day for that bride and they truly care about that and want her to have an awesome day, you know, and, um, want her family to have an awesome time. So what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your staff aside from having that server's heart? But is there uh, something that you do that other catering companies don't do? One thing that seems obvious, but is to smile mm. and we're always, you know, smile, remember to smile. It just, it makes everything. And I'd like to, to say to smile with your eyes. I think people don't yeah. just smile, but there's a total difference when you make eye contact and mm-hmm. you, and you, like literally like do it right now. Smile with your eyes. Yeah. It's, it's a totally different smile. It's yeah. a totally different smile. And, um, I don't like, I, I don't know why people, uh, don't smile with their eyes more right. often. I don't know. It's so impactful. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or caterer? Oh man, I'm reading so many books. Um, right now I'm reading mastering the Rockefeller ha- habits, which has been awesome. That's, I think, the first time mentioned on the show. What's one habit that has really stood out to you? Uh, I've been studying or the chapter of what to do with employee feedback, and that's something that we've been gathering. This new HR gal that I hired, she's been having one-on-ones, and we've created a survey for employees, and so we're we're focused on kind of gathering that and, and taking action with the feedback from, from our employees. What does that look like? I'm curious. Uh, so there's a, we created a Google survey just about job happiness, you know, um, are you supported in your role? Is there something you want to grow into your role and kind of getting like the highs and lows from everybody. Um, and then being able to compile that information and, and see where we need to improve the workplace. And how has getting that feedback served you? What's one thing that you've gotten from your, your, your staff that you would have never, never otherwise gotten if you didn't open up that channel of communication? Um, I think, well, we're still working through that. We're still compiling it. But I I think one thing that we're getting is finding that most people are happy in their jobs. They might just have one small thing that would make their lives better. Um, And I think what I'm learning is that there's a lot of feedback. Some things are bigger changes that will take a while. So if there's anything you can instantly do to show them progress, do it, you know, because if someone feels like their feedback isn't heard because it's taking forever to make a change, um, you know, and the bigger we're getting it, it feels like we're just this huge beast that like can't move. Um, and actions always speak louder than words. So you could say, Hey, I want your feedback because I care, but unless you do something, then they're really not going to be receptive to it. It's, it's that act of doing the showing that you care that has the impact, right? Right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, is there a one tool or resource or technology that has had a positive impact on your operation that made you more efficient, improved communication, efficiency, profitability, anything like that? Um, there's a couple. I mean, we started a new software this summer called total party planner. Okay. Awesome name. It's made for catering and it's been great. You know, now I have so much more data. I can pull reports so much easier. I can see what people are working on and it does everything for us. It sends the proposal clients can pay online and then it, it creates um, sheets for the kitchen to use for the menu. It it creates the pack list. You know, it's it's everything. Um, so that's a great software. We also love Slack. 
Mm. So what's the biggest impact that total party people is total party people is that total party, party planner total total party planner uh, what's the biggest impact they've had on you um, huge time saving in being able to send proposals you know that's always a goal is getting to your clients super quick because I know if they're inquiring about catering they're also emailing two or three other caterers so ninety percent of the time if you're the first to get back to them they book you gotcha so it's it's helped us be quick in uh, Slack how's that been the biggest impact or how's that impacted you the biggest way. Um, that's just helped streamline communication. We create a channel for every event that we book and anyone who's involved is in the channel. So, cause I was finding that I would have a conversation with someone, my sales girl about something and we would decide what bowl we want to use. But then the chef would have the same conversation with warehouse and he's thinking they want to use this bowl. And so nobody was ever on the same page. And a lot of times in a growing business like this, there's a lot of crossing of lanes because our roles are constantly changing. And so while I'm working on teaching everyone to stay in their lane and clearly define who's in charge of what Slack has helped with that crossover. Yeah. And I, I just started using Slack myself. I, I've always been a one man operation, but as of recently, the past like month, I've had one of my good friends come on and uh, basically a, a, I have somebody who's now my boss. Right? I'm like, you tell uh, me yeah. what to do. And we were using Slack and it's great because you get to identify threats, conversations, things like that are specific that, is a continuous thread and all the people that are a part of that conversation. So instead of having multiple email threads going all over the place, right. you have, you identify, uh, I don't know what, like what's one title that you have under Slack? Like one, like a, a header. We have a rental section, rental, a section. rental channel. Uh, and what's another one? Like I have one just with the girls. Exactly. So you can keep the, the thread going. You can keep people who are key portions of, of a specific topic all on one channel of communication. It's so powerful. It's, it's so much easier too to, to go back and find previous conversations when it's, 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 a, it's, it's amazing. Right. It. And it's not like I sent an email and I forgot to copy the one person. And it's free. That's the other thing. People. It's free. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay. Uh, what is one thing that you think caterers don't do often enough or well enough? Cook food. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I don't think we need to go any deeper there. This yeah. is the last question. It's a doozy. Uh, so be ready for it. If you got the news that you're leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you and your, your businesses would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you know are true that you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for the industry. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? The, the things you know to be true. Hmm. That's a doozy. It is a doozy. Yeah. <laughs> I think one, you know, in this industry or in any industry, I, I think treating your employees like family. Mm. Everyone around here calls me mama bear. And, you know, I love that. And I love that I have a relationship with every employee here. And it's, we just, we treat each other like family. Um, and it helps when I really need them to do the work. Like they're going to do it because they're not just doing it for their job, but they're doing it because they respect me. There's a relationship tied to mm -hmm. it. That's one. That's one. Two, take initiative and just don't wait for things to happen. You just, you have to go out and get it. Um, being proactive has been instrumental for me treat your employees like family take initiatives number two what's the third nugget you can drop on us 
enjoy your job and have fun doing it. Like, yes. Work hard, but play hard. And I we, love it. We do both really well. Brooke, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit with me to let me pull back the layers and learn from you. I, I've t- taken a lot from this conversation. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. That's how I found you. Uh, Harlan called you out. Who else should I get on the show? Somebody you respect and admire in Austin that you think would be a great guest mentor like you've made for us today? I mean, you could start with my business partners, Ben and Andrew, and hear the restaurant side of the story. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Ben, Andrew, I'm coming after you. Look out. And how can we connect if we want to uh, maybe come join your team or we want you mentioned earlier looking for those chefs or we just want to come experience your your restaurant? Like what's the best way to connect? Um, Our website, Contigo texas.com and that has catering and the ranch and the restaurant all all right there beautiful yeah this is, this is episode 558 head over to restaurant unstoppable.com slash 558 you can find the links and the summary uh to today's discussion all over there as well as the links to connect brooke you've been amazing again thank, thank you, you so much there is no questioning you are unstoppable <laughs> There we go. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys found value in today's conversation. Uh, some really great stuff from today's conversation. Well, just first, the fact that we got a caterer on the show. And if you guys are looking to go into the catering size, side of the business, I hope you found value in today's conversation. Uh, just start doing things, right? I think that's how... Brooke got into this. She just started doing it and she realized she could do it. And it was that positive reinforcement that she was doing the job right that made her want to continue down this path. And here she is today. She owns her own business. And I think that's another really, really big uh, takeaway from today's conversation is how she started this business. She attached herself to a brand that was very well established. It was a restaurant, but it was a very well established brand. And she used that brand to slingshot her business, right? And she created a win-win situation for her and for her business partner. So I love that approach that they took. Uh, And another thing I want to highlight from today's conversation is go out there and talk to people who are successful. Ask them how they did it. Uh, Go travel across the country if that's what it takes to get in front of these people that can give you the knowledge, the know-how to really take your game up to the next level. That's what Brooke did as well. And that's what so many of my past guests do. They aren't afraid to approach those who are successful and ask for help. So great stuff today. Guys, like always, I have to remind you, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, They Plus, beyond just helping the show rank higher. I love getting that feedback. It helps me uh, continue to show up when I hear how much this podcast is helping you guys. Keep those emails coming too. You can email me at eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. But the best way to support and get behind this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming our industry is by sharing this resource with everybody and anyone you know who's aspiring to be great in the industry. You are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And at Restaurant Unstoppable, you can surround yourself with the best. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. You all rock. And until next time, peace out. Peace out.